I will say happy Father's Day again to the fathers who are fathers of children by one way or another. Also to the fathers in the faith, because I know that I have men who have been fathers in the faith to me, who have been the one to help disciple and guide and shape how I look at the Word, how I look at the world. And I am very, very grateful for that. I've come to love this statement by Charles Spurgeon. Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. This week, in in that context, this week I have seen the results in a in some in a dear friend's life. I've seen the results of the almost right and how by steps the enemy can take someone down a terrible path and lead them away from the truth and into darkness and into just terrible things. So I am challenged more and more, and I will challenge more and more. Learn to know the difference between right and almost right. Exercise that discernment, discernment, and cling to what is right and to what is true. If you would stand with me, and I want you to turn to First Timothy chapter 6. And we're going to read from 3 to 21. And we're going to, I'm going to, it's not going to be on the screen. So if you've got a Bible in front of you or you've got an app that you can follow along, I'll be reading from the ESV, which should be very close to most translations I know that you have in front of you. I pray. First Timothy. 6, verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is 
the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Let's pray again. Father, thank you for this word. May this word be what we come away with most impressed by, most touched by, most stirred by, most encouraged by today. And may we, may we in this world fight the good fight of faith. Because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory now and forevermore. When I pray, Lord, teach us to hold your word close, but to also hold it strong, to wield it well, And not just wave it about. Help us to be strong and courageous. And to truly fight this good fight of faith. For your glory. In Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. So from 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5. And I just, this morning, we're just going to kind of take these verses apart just for a little bit. This is Paul talking to a, a young preacher. And I want us to remember... Like I've said this a few times, and I think I'll continue to say the same thing. Not everything that we read in Scripture is to us, but everything is for us. So we see Paul writing to a young preacher, and he's writing to Timothy. But he's not just writing to Timothy for Timothy. He is writing to Timothy and he's writing for us. So when we read this and hear these things, these are for us. These statements and these sayings, they're for us to take in and and act on and, and live from. But in 3 through 5, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, that is, Christ's teaching, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Wanting us to hear, to teach anything but the word of Christ is prideful. 
It makes it about you or me and not about him. And it makes us desire to have the glory for what we say or what we teach rather than him have the glory for his word that is forever true. To teach anything but the word of Christ is pride. He is the source and we are created to point back to him. We don't have one ounce of wisdom except he has granted it. We don't have one understanding of how anything is made or any reason it was made except he revealed it to us. So we have no place. We have no place for pride. We have no place for any other doctrine other than Christ. So, not too long ago in preaching about the gospel and preaching about the, the word of Christ, it's like those are the things that we, the, the word of Christ, those are the things that we are called to obey. That, that is our true discipleship to anyone is pointing them to the gospel of Christ. And that gospel not just being get saved and there you go, but it's, it is a gospel for all of life. The word of Christ is not just a, some beginning and launch you on your merry way and give you a good pat and say, go out there and figure it out. But it's the bookends around everything. It's, it, it is the bookends around the library that is real life and real understanding and real wisdom. The, the gospel of Christ. So he is the source. We are created to point back to him. Anything outside, anything outside of the teaching of Christ, which is the whole word of God, the whole counsel of the word of God, beginning to end, anything outside of that will turn godliness into manipulation. And that is evil. Not even, not only is that evil, but as the worst kind of evil. When you take something apart from what God has said and proclaim it as this is godliness and this is truth and this is right. When you say anything outside of what God says is right and true and good and proclaim that as godliness, that is the worst kind of evil. That is a proclaiming that up is down and down is up. And, and I could go through a list of all the things that we are hearing and seeing as proclaimed to be the truth and what is real. And it would be easy in this very moment to say, yeah, man, the world is awful. The world is just awful. Yeah, look at how they turn things upside down and inside out. Look at how they pervert the word of God. Well, I have a question. When has the world ever had that as the, the word of God as their source. When, when, are, when, have, when has the world been the proclaimers of the truth? They haven't. They have a distorted understanding. Their understanding is of the flesh. Their understanding is of their father, the devil. They believe lies. Well, of course they're going to say up is down and down is up. It it suits them. We've been in Romans. You look at Romans chapter 1. They, they not only proclaim the things and teach the things, but they celebrate everybody else who does that. So maybe I'm not necessarily addressing the world because you know the world's going to do what the world does. 
But then who would I be talking about? I would be talking about what calls itself the church. What calls itself the believers. Anything teaching, anything outside of the true godliness is manipulation and it is evil of the worst kind. It's when we who name the name of Christ and call ourselves believers call the truth a lie and a lie the truth. When we say up is down and down is up and when we agree with the world saying its things for the sake of being winsome. It's a shivery word right now for me. For the sake of being accepted. For the sake of being embraced. That is the worst kind of evil. And what I've seen in in watching things lately, just a little sidebar here, when the unbelievers are fighting for godly things, though not knowing the God they're speaking of or the truths they're, they're drawing their words from, when they, when the unbelievers are fighting for godly things and we are not, we ought to be ashamed. Because I've seen that. I've seen atheists. I've watched atheists proclaiming the truth of God as what is correct and true and right in this world and decrying how awful and evil things are. Even talking about evil, even mentioning evil, defining evil. When I've seen them say those things about what's going on in this world around us, and yet I've also seen what calls itself Christianity in and the body of Christ and the church and everything saying the opposite or diminishing those things. When I hear what calls itself the body of Christ, what calls itself the evangelical, say things that sound a whole lot more like well, did God really say those things in light of what Scripture actually says plain and straight out for the sake of an audience, for the sake of acceptance, to say when I, when I hear what is supposed to be representative of the gospel of Jesus Christ saying things that sound more like the devil who said those things, did God really say? then I think, no, I know that that breaks my heart. And I, and I really, truly hope that it breaks yours too. But we go on. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs now i will we'll talk about money a little bit but probably not that much because i think that there are some other elements also that fit in this that Paul has addressed in other scriptures that we see in the Word all throughout. There are some things that are equivalent to money, and I'm, I mentioned them. But I want influence. I crave influence. I crave an audience. 
I crave someone saying to me, oh, you're, you're great, you're awesome. We want to be where you are. And I think that is some of those things that are just kind of nudging at that same space as money, and it's throughout Scripture. There are some of those same things, I think, that play at us sometimes when it comes to what we're going to do and how we're going to live the gospel out loud in front of people. That we crave something that is about us and our power and our comfort or our, our affirmation of some sort. That we need to be affirmed by someone or something. We need to have some power. We want power. We crave it. And Paul says, but godliness with contentment, those things together, that is great gain. You didn't bring anything in, you're not going to take anything out. If you have those the, the basic needs met by God and know that they come from Him and He's the source of them, it is enough. Am I right? I mean, is it? Is, is it enough or is there more? Because we've kind of talked about that in the past too. It's the, the gospel and... Right. Well, I, I I believe in the gospel. I need the gospel. I praise God for the gospel. I got saved because of the gospel. But I need something else. And so it's like so it's the gospel and, uh, you know, seven steps to gain wealth and or this one weird trick to lose fat or so, I don't know stuff that we see frequently everywhere, pulling at us saying, but you're you're not happy. Something's not right, but we have the answer. And the world is just full of that kind of marketing, and we fall for it again and again. And the enemy is, is really, really good at marketing the garbage that he's trying to get us to eat. Really, really good at saying, but I, I know that the Word says... But, 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 but how does that make you feel? Well, I know these things are true, but boy, don't you just look at this. Let me just paint this scenario for you and get you to feel really sorry for some circumstance that somebody else has. And can you not see that how, how they, they just, they fell on hard times? No, they sinned. They walked away from the truth of God's word and fell because of that, not because they were a victim. They were a victim of something, all right? Stupid choices apart from the word of God. So craving, desiring to be rich, desiring those things, they're a snare. They pull you into many senseless and harmful desires. So do you hear it? Not, not craving pulls us into more desires. Do you see that it's an endless cycle of always wanting and never being satisfied and always wanting and never being satisfied? But there's always something else. There's always something else. Shouldn't you be doing something else? Well, that's great, but what's your next step? That's awesome, but where's your next million? That's great, but where's your next conquest? Like, y'all, we don't have to look very far to see where that ends up. Have you not seen, have, have you and I in this world right now not seen people who are just covered in wealth? They have all the influence, they have the platforms, they had all the things. Is it enough? Do you ever see, how, how many? I, I'm sure if there are, they're, they're a minuscule number, and most likely it's because they've, they, they've either spent it all and they're at the end of it, or they've come to a place where they, they, they've seen it for what it's worth and walked away from it. But I have yet to see someone who didn't have more than enough still wanting more. Because it 
cannot satisfy. And I will say this as well. Desiring to be rich and desiring to be poor are two sides of the same coin. And hear me out on this. They are, both of those things are in some way about control and controlling our circumstances, whether for piety or for power. You hear that? You know what I'm saying? The same sides, two sides of the same coin. They are in some way about control and controlling our circumstances, whether for piety or for power. Being proud of being ignorant and backwards is just as bad as being proud of being educated and progressive. There is pride in both of those. I am better than you because I live a life set apart. And I live a life of poverty and I've rejected and denied and and pushed away all of these things. And I am better somehow because... I have pushed those things away and I live in poverty and I rejoice in my ignorance and actually celebrate it and want everyone to celebrate it. Look at my education. I have so much more than all of y'all. I've read the Bible 8,007 times and I've actually read it in Greek and Hebrew and a little Aramaic. And I have developed a deep knowledge of the scripture and understand all these things. And I'm so much better than you. You should come to me and hear what I have to say because I have all this wisdom and all this knowledge. Does it not sound like pride either way you go with that? And then I come back to Paul saying you didn't bring anything in and you won't take anything out and you don't have anything on any side of any situation that I am not sovereign over. So if you have stuff and wisdom and books and understanding, it is a gift of the grace of God. Rejoice in that and share it openly that all may receive Anything that you have because it came from God and not because it came from you or me. If you are in a place where you don't have as much, circumstantially, there's just not been as much available to you. Is not the gospel just as rich? Is not salvation just as sweet? whether you have or don't have. And you'll hear it in Scripture. It's like those who are poor, like learn and listen. Learn and listen. Learn and listen. And those who are rich in some things, give. 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 Not stingily. Not believing that you're going to run out. Not believing that if you spend it, you won't have it. No. It is there is there's a wealth of what God has to offer to us in every way that is an inexhaustible supply. True contentment is not circumstantial, but it is learned. Paul said it, Philippians chapter four, verses ten through twelve. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. In other words, they had no opportunity to do anything about their concern. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret 
of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Finding our contentment in the Lord. So that whether we find ourselves in a season where there is a lack, or we find ourselves in a season where there is an abundance, all in all our contentment is not in the things or the circumstances, but in the Lord who holds them in His hands for His kids. So, walking through these steps about how we hold ourselves how we teach, how we learn, where it comes from. Understanding what is the truth, what is right, what is good, what does the Word say. All these things, taking these steps, understanding what godliness is, understanding what contentment is. Paul was giving these lists, and he was telling Timothy these things, to make him prepared for the fight. To make him prepared for what was going to happen, what he was going to face, maybe what he was already facing in the church and in the world might be a good soldier. 1 Timothy 6, 11-13 but as for you, O man of God, of God, flee these things. And he'd given a list of things to flee. But flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who is his testimony in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue. Now listen to, the, listen to this list. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, all these words we would associate or we tend to associate with soft, gentle, kind. But here what he lays these words up against. Pursue these. Fight the good fight. Of faith. And this is our call in light of the circumstances. So, let me kind of wrap something around where this, is, where this has been. Paul is dealing with Timothy about, you know, hey, don't be distracted by the allure and temptation of, of riches. The, lore, the, the uh, allure of, and temptation of influence. Or be distracted or dissuaded by people's opinions and feelings about you. Because there is a fight whether you want it or not. There is a battle whether we like war or not. And whether we see it on a horizon or not, it is coming for us. So, fight the good of fight of faith and fight it in righteousness, and godliness, in love, in steadfastness, and in gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. And we are called to fight. No matter our circumstances, to fight. 
no matter our comfort level, to fight. No matter whether the world likes it or not, to fight. We fight for the sovereign king. And that's not just a title. That is an actuality. We fight for the sovereign king. And we fight because he says to fight. He says to fight. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. He doesn't say it's going to be calm. But he does say fight. Fight. He says, as for the rich in this present age, which again, really draws attention to the fact that he wasn't saying that having, having wealth is evil. Having riches is not, is not evil. Any more than having nothing is saintly, godly. Godly is you've got nothing. Now that's that's not those those aren't true statements on either side of things. But as for the rich in this present age, people who have wealth, charge them not to be haughty. Kill the pride, y'all. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches because they can come and go. But on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And that's everything. You know, his provision sometimes for us has been poverty. <laughs> a, a lack. His, and it's hard to say that, that that's been a blessing. But then if you've been married a good long while or you've been around a good long while and you've seen it's like, oh, yeah, the old bad times are good times now because you remember what God did or you remember how bad it was and you're on the other side of it up here talking about how bad it was, right? And you're looking back on those times when things were chaotic and hectic and the, there was the kids, there was the jobs, there was the stress. There, and you're on the other side of it looking back and saying, wow, that was a, a bad time. And you find joy in that because you see what God did and how a believer you see what God did to draw you up out of those things. There to do good, be, be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, the storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Because wealth isn't truly life, it's just wealth. Stuff isn't truly life. It's just stuff. And then finally to Timothy, he says this. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be to you. Guard the trust. Avoid the distractions. Be strong. Put on the armor. Put on the armor. Ephesians 6, 10 and on. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one 
and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. In all these things, we are to remember who our enemy is and who it is not. We remember that our enemy is the devil. We remember that it's not flesh and blood, though it looks like it sometimes, but it's principalities and it's powers. And that flesh and blood you see doing those things or are coming against the gospel and everything else, they are coming against us by the power of the enemy, enraged, enlivened by the enemy, stirred up by the enemy, coaxed on by the enemy to attack. And I've seen lives, I understand, I've seen lives that have been changed that went from enemies of God, and one of them we're reading today. He was an enemy to Christ and to the church, fought it, hated it, imprisoned, stood by and watched people being killed and nodded approvingly. And Jesus knocked him off his horse to the ground and blinded him, and he was changed from one influence to another like that. And these are the things that are being produced for us and these are the, this is the point of reference of a man talking to a young preacher and through him also talking to us about what can change. So when we see our enemies, know that that enemy who's one day screaming and yelling profanities and, and hating can be on a spot turned to a child of God by the power of the gospel of Christ, which... Backing up from all of the statements and all of the things that he is saying, that's what this is about. It's about preaching the gospel consistently regardless of your circumstances. And not placing your hope in your circumstances, but in the God who holds all the circumstances in his hand. The belt of truth cinches Luth's clothing. We listen to Tucker Carlson, and, and, I, and this in no way is an endorsement of everything that Tucker Carlson says or, or proclaims or anything. So just some dude. But this is Tucker Carlson speaking at the Heritage Foundation. And he stands up in front and he talks about people that he used to just despise as far as their, their character and everything else, but they suddenly start speaking the truth because the truth becomes too obvious to ignore to that person. And finding that the truth kind of forces you to say more truth because the truth uncovers more lies, exposes more lies, and you have to make some choices. The truth sets us free, and it calls us to more truth. Once you've seen the truth, you have to work to unsee it. Right? Have you not? I mean, I've seen it. I've watched people who've come to the truth and it's 2 plus 2 equals 4, and that's been revealed, and they see it, and they have to work then to reject it, to shake their head and go, no. They ha- you have to make some conscious decisions to ignore the truth. So when we cinch up all of our garments, bring everything in tight with the belt of truth, Girded with truth. You are set free to fight. And truth reveals truth, reveals truth. And you are encouraged to fight. You are angered and emboldened 
to fight. When you see the truth, and I've experienced this, when you see the truth and you know you've believed a lie, there is no manner of justification that you can use to just put that away. There, I mean, you can try it. Good luck. But the truth is going to keep opening your eyes to it again and again. But that truth is freedom. That is the strength to fight. The breastplate of righteousness, it covers the vital organs. So I've, like I did things. I made pictures. And I don't want to distract myself or you. But I like pictures. The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness covers the vital organs, protects the heart, which is at the center of what's being protected. The breastplate of righteousness is not our righteousness, but it's Christ's righteousness imputed to us. In other words, it's an unearned righteousness that is that breastplate that protective is the righteousness of Christ. Just like our sin was imputed to him, where the scripture says he became sin for us, it was sin being imputed to him, it was unearned. So also the righteousness of Christ, which is that breastplate around us, is a righteousness that was imputed. It wasn't earned, but it was given in Christ. So we put that on as protection. Then there's, he calls it boots of readiness, gospel shoes. It is gospel redemption at work in us. That is gospel readiness, ready with the gospel as your testimony of what God has done in you, but also a testimony of, of the grace of God, which will either be to to those who are being saved, it'll be a wonderful thing. To those who are not, it will be a horrible thing. It'll be a fearful thing. They hate the gospel. They hate anything that means that they have to surrender their power or their strength. But we know they will. We know we all will bow. And many of us, by the grace of God, will bow and say, My Lord and my King. And the others will bow defeated and say, you win, I hate it, but you win. But we can't be on the battle barefooted. We can't be on the battlefield unequipped by the gospel, the real gospel. Shield of faith. Faith Not I believe I'll get what I want, faith, but I believe God, faith. That's so much more than things that fade or fail. And this shield that we take up, the shield of faith, is dart extinguishing. Typically, from what I understand, wasn't there, but what I understand of taking up this shield was a wooden shield and they would soak it in water and that thing was heavy and it was dense because the fibers were wetted and when the darts hit it it made it less penetrable but also if they were on fire they were put out so when we take that Shield of faith. It's fighting against the darts of an enemy that says, did God really say? Those are the darts. To get us to doubt him in the fight. There's nothing worse than being in a, in a scrum, in a, in, a, in a fight with someone, and you lose your footing. There's not a, there is not a good feeling about that. I don't care whether it's for play or for real. Like when you when you go off your balance, there's nothing pleasant about getting knocked off your balance. But when you take up that shield of faith, 
and 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 how they would do it. I mean, they would they were big. They weren't just little tiny things. They were big, and they would they would plant them in the ground, and they would get in behind them, and then others would stack on top. And so when they're hurling whatever medieval, old world, flaming whatever that they learned how to throw, that stuff would hit that wall of shields, and it be repelled. And they were braced and ready, and they couldn't be knocked off their footing. That's what made those soldiers in that time, especially the Roman soldiers, their organization and all the stuff that they had, that's what made them so strong against so much because they just all together unified, dropped the shields down, didn't matter what came. And then once the barrage was undone, they would advance plant the shields and do it again and advance and plant the shields and do it again and advance and plant the shields and do it again until they were right at the enemy and then out came the swords and at that point the battle was nearly just pretty much over. So we understand the shield of faith and how much power it has to repel what the enemy is throwing. The helmet of salvation. Protect your noggin. That's your memory. That's your mind. That's your thinking. Remember that you are saved. And that is been saved. You have been saved. You are being saved and you will be saved. And even more so, if we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind, then we put on the helmet of salvation because we want to keep what has happened inside of this noggin of ours protected. Don't want a proverbial concussion when it comes to fighting the fight of faith and forgetting where we are, becoming disoriented in a world that's throwing a lot of things around at us when the enemy is coming from every side and the arguments are back and forth and the questions of did God really say start to kind of chip away at us. No, you protect that noggin, you you protect it with that salvation and understanding of no, the word of God, the will of God, and I don't need anything else beyond that. And I will learn that, hold that, keep that in my mind. If anybody's ever, if you've ever been in the place where you've kind of lost your mind, you understand just how precious it is to keep it and protect it. Last piece of the armor is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Know how to use it. Know how to use it. I'm reminded of uh, the Mask of Zorro. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Don't know if I even would recommend it or not but Antonio Banderas and Anthony Hopkins' version. And there was a point that the new Zorro, who was really rough, was being trained, but not quite to the training yet. And he's looking for vengeance, and he's in a bar drinking his sorrows away about his brother who'd been murdered by, a really, by the bad guy. And Anthony Hopkins, which was the old Zorro, steps in, and, and he... You know, there's the, he engages him. He says he, he pulls out his sword. You know, drunk, and he pulls out his sword, and he's waving. He, and Anthony Hopkins says, "Do you know how to use that thing?" And he said, "Sure." The pointy end goes in the other guy. Then he had to be taught. That's not the way this thing works. And sometimes we act like that's how the word is. Well, you just throw it out there somewhere and. Pointy, the pointy end goes in the devil, right? It, that's, it is the only weapon in this whole armament that is both defensive and offensive. Defensive in parrying the blows of the enemy. Jesus, when he was tempted, y'all remember this, right? And he's being tempted in the wilderness. And the devil is spinning the scriptures out in like distorting little ways and saying, well, you know, it said this and that and this and that. And Jesus said, it is written. Okay, we'll try something else. Well, it said this and that and this and that. And Jesus says, it is written. And finally, he said, it is written. Get out of here. And the devil leaves. He was fighting, he was parrying every one of the enemy's swings 
with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It is written. But it's also offensive. Hebrews 4.12 For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is just that sharp that it can cut through even the smallest misunderstanding, even the smallest need of understanding. That's how sharp the edge of the Word of God is. That there isn't a place that you can get to that it will not cut through all of the distractions. So we live in a world of stress and anxiety. We live in a world that is, that is constantly noisy. But it is the Word of God that gives us, that, that it, that's that sharp edge that cuts through all of the noise and brings clarity and understanding. It brings truth to us. It brings an understanding of, I know what is happening inside of me and it doesn't match what God says it should be. And I know that it must be dealt with because the Word has shown me that it must be dealt with. It is offensive. And then we are called to let it dwell in us. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let it dwell in you richly. And finally, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith to extinguish. Take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We are called to pray in the Spirit. Not some mystical thing, but in line with the will of God as expressed in the Word of God. That is praying in the Spirit. Because the Spirit was sent, like we studied this, we talked about this, the Spirit was sent, and He said, Jesus said, He will He will talk about me. He will remind you of me. And when He's reminding you of me, He's reminding you of everything I've taught you so far. And everything I've taught you is not anything that God hasn't already said. And you've got it written so you can look back through it and see it and know it. These are the things that God has said. And this is how people have acted through the Old Testament, but this is what God has said over against all of that. So following that all the way down, praying in the Spirit is going to be in line with the will of God in light of the Word of God. Praying in the Spirit. And I'll leave you with this kind of last thought amongst many this morning. We look at the world around us in the middle of this fight, and, and we see it here in America, and we think it's imploding like it's falling apart, and, and, and that would be a safe assumption. And we could talk about the reasons. Actually, we've kind of bounced around all the reasons through this whole, through this whole sermon. But it's exploding other places. It is. The gospel is making inroads in places that you would just not expect in places that are in what what to us in this world are terrible bondage. And yet the gospel is exploding. And something that Isaiah shared with me last night, it was talking about uh, working at Eagle Sky, a group came in, it was a worship leader, and they were talking. And he'd been in another country. And I can't remember, Zay, where it was. Can you... Okay, so he was in he was in India, and they are having uh, the gospel is really plowing through that Indian culture, 
which is so contrary to their system. I mean, it just is. I mean, it is a night and day, and it really is like you could die for this kind of growth. And similarly in China, the 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 China, the, from what I hear, the church in China is growing rapidly, and it's not all touchy feely, warm fuzzy. Get what you want from God. No, it's in the middle of. This is not good to say. I believe Jesus, and I'm going to share the gospel with you uh, out in the back, and you're dead. Kind of scenarios. Okay, so this man that was a worship leader for one of the events had had gone over there, and he was asking questions because, in light of what he sees here, it's imploding and it's just falling apart. And Big Eva and the church looks like a joke by comparison to what the gospel really says. And so, how is it? And asking the question, so so tell me how it how it is. That these how, that that the church is growing, like what means? And I don't know for us, maybe in this world, how many? What steps do you like? What are y'all doing? Is it like you know? Do you have two services a week, or do you have a Bible study? What kind of video program you got going on? What kind of what are you doing over here that's just making the gospel grow? Like how are you affecting these people or whatever? And, and I'm just I'm not saying that that's what he's thinking, but that's kind of like where that goes. What's I need five steps, five easy things to get me to the growth in church kind of thing. And he said, he said prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. No, really, I know, but yeah, but how how are you? How like how is that? Like how is that working? Uh, prayer and fasting. Because it does depend on God, right? I mean, revival is not something you can make. Like uh, if I could go around splashing people with water and saying you're saved, you're saved. I'd I would rent, I'd buy a fire truck and hose down the whole wide world if that's what it took. If I could make it happen, of course, who wouldn't do that? But you can't. We can't. That is the work of the Holy Spirit so that he gets the glory and not me and my fire truck. So that he gets the glory and not you and I. So when we talk about fighting the good fight of faith, it isn't about your own strength or my own strength. It isn't about my appeal or my witness or my testimony or my anything or my following or my platform. But it is about His glory and His only. It's about His word, His truth, His righteousness, His purposes. So when we plunge off into this fight, which is this life that we live in this world, and everywhere we go, everywhere we go, no matter what you do, there is no, like this platform and doing this is not better than working someplace and sharing the gospel as you go in whatever sphere that is. It's not better. This isn't the more holy place right here. It's not. That doesn't mean it's not important monstrously important that what stands in this and what fills this is the Word of God for His glory and for His purposes because from these platforms is what is presenting and dictating this is how it is to live and follow God. This is the list. This is what it means. This is what the Scripture says. And thus for us falls a greater weight and Scripture talks about that and it scares the living daylights out of me more than it ever did. And I'm thankful for that. I'm, I'm glad to be afraid now. I really am. I'm glad to be afraid because I hate the other, I hate the alternatives because it's about me and not. But anyway, this is not the better place. This is not the better place. If we could all just be here all the time, it would be a great thing. No, it would not. It would not be a great thing. But we are called to fight the good fight of faith, each and every one of us, no matter where we go, no matter where we find ourselves, whether we have great success in the eyes of the world or not with a contentment that is otherworldly. With a word and understanding that is otherworldly. And is available 
available to all who would believe, that all would acknowledge, that all would understand the gospel of Christ. To all, it is available. We fight the good fight of faith everywhere and all the time. And we have the equipment. If I've done nothing else, I've just laid out that we have the equipment. And we have the reason because he is sovereign and because he said so. Let's pray. Father, I pray. Many things, but I know to you. Have convicted my heart about much today. Even much outside of these words, outside of the things that are on paper or or on the pages you have convicted. My heart of much, and I thank you for that. And I pray today in, in our doing and in our understanding, may we seek to glorify you. May we budget our time and our resources Believing that the the kingdom of heaven isn't somewhere over yonder. But it's in the here and now. The kingdom is here because you are here. Your spirit is here in us. The kingdom is here in us. May we live with that mindset that the kingdom is alive in us now. And you are sovereign, Lord Jesus. You are sovereign now and forevermore, not somewhere later. So with that in mind, may we make our choices. May we make our decisions about how we will pursue life and what we will press into based on you being Lord now in these moments and strengthen us to fight the good fight of faith and strengthen us to deal harshly with anything that tempts us to take the armor off. Anything that tempts us to be spectators. Anything that tempts us just to wring our hands and worry over it. And help us to just engage the fight. Help us to pray and fast and seek you. And repent and turn from things that are not honoring to you. May you be glorified and may our hearts be touched by your words. May they be convicted by your Holy Spirit for your glory. For your glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen.